It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. A wild game one of the NBA Finals. A big name comes to Orlando, or a medium-sized name, I guess, comes to Orlando. And we get the full lowdown on Chet Holmgren. It's a Friday edition of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is June 3rd, 2022. My name is Philip Rossmark. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at underscore omd On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to talk real briefly about Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Just a wild fourth quarter in San Francisco as the Boston Celtics take Game 1 of the Finals. We're going to stay up to date with what's going on with the Finals. Plus, a big name reportedly in Orlando or Maybe not the biggest name, but a medium-sized name that the Magic might be looking at with a first-round pick, question mark. I don't know what they're doing. We'll talk a little bit about the, the player that was in town, or reportedly in town, on Thursday. And the bulk of today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Locked On Gonzaga's Andy Patton about Chet Holmgren. So we'll get the lowdown on him. But before we do that, we want to thank you again for making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. No matter when you listen to us, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's right when we upload, we truly appreciate you making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. Remember the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Let's get the magic news out of the way first. Um, According to Kobe Price of the Orlando Sentinel, uh, the Orlando Magic conducted perhaps their biggest workout to date on Thursday. No, it is not one of the big three. It was not Jabari Smith. It was not Chet Holmgren. It was not uh, Paolo Bancara. We are dealing with them plenty here. Don't worry. Um, the Magic were able to bring in Iowa forward Keegan Murray uh, into the Amway Center. Um, if you, you know, I, I did a full write up on Keegan Murray up on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. I think we'll talk a little bit more specifically about him at some point next week, as there's still this outside chance that Orlando could trade the pick. I've done a few podcasts with both Locked On Kings and now Locked On Rockets asking me what it would take to trade uh, that first pick, and I essentially gave them the Pat Williams line, uh, well, give me your top five pick and six first-round picks. Um, that's that, that, that's what Pat Williams reportedly told Don Nelson before the two sides settled on three additional first-round picks to trade Chris Webber for Penny Hardaway. So I'm asking for the moon, uh, but you can't blame Orlando for doing their homework. Uh, Orlando is going to do their homework, and if you followed the Magic in their front office a little bit, again, they don't leak anything, uh, but their actions have always spoken pretty loudly about what they think about Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray seems like he is an Orlando guy. Um, John Hammond noted uh, that instead of being in Orlando for Markel Fultz's debut game, he was in Iowa City, taking in Iowa, beating on my Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, Keegan Murray had a specifically strong game in that game, 26 points, 18 rebounds as uh, Northwestern's just not a real basketball team at this point. Um, K- 
Keegan Murray's a really, really good player. Uh, he checks off every single box for the Orlando Magic. He is long. He is defensive-minded. He's a great three-point shooter. If the Magic were not picking in the top three, uh, I think they very well might take Keegan Murray. They might have taken Keegan Murray. That's how much I think Orlando likes Keegan Murray. Do they like him enough to maybe try and trade back into the top five to get him? I don't know. Um, is that the guy that they would target if they are trading back, if they would trade off of one? I, I, I kind of think so. I actually think that that would, be, that would be a player that they would really, really seriously target. Um, at the very least, this is good intel. This is good... Um, Good experience to get that interview process done, kind of get the cobwebs off of the interview process before the main guys come to town. But Orlando's made it very, very clear that they are interested in Keegan Murray, and, and they have been for a very, very long time. Um, so it is of note, it is newsworthy, that he was reportedly in town for a workout today. I can check his Instagram a little bit later to see if he actually was. Um, but that was the reporting out there. Uh, so the Magic have conducted at least one workout with a potential top 10 pick uh, already in the NBA draft. And again, they interviewed him as well at the NBA draft combine, also according to Kobe Price of the Orlando Sentinels. So again, it, the Magic have not made it a secret. They they like Keegan Murray a lot. Of course, the big news in the NBA, the Boston Celtics defeating the Golden State Warriors in just absolutely shocking manner. Um, Steph Curry was fantastic in the first quarter. He had five three-pointers. Golden State really looked like they were in charge. Boston always just kind of hanging around despite Jason Tatum struggling from the floor. Uh, but Boston just hung around that game, and it was really impressive, the fight and resilience that Boston showed to stay in this game. Uh, but then it looked like the third, the third quarter Warriors took over. Golden State took, a, I think it was a 14-point lead entering the fourth quarter, and just looked like, okay, this is going to be pro forma. Boston ain't winning if Jason Tatum plays this poorly. Then Golden State got loose, and this is what Golden State does tend to do. Um, there's There's been a lot of talk. Um, about what the key to the series is, and it's, it's going to be turnovers. Who's going to make the fewest mistakes? Who's going to give away the fewest possessions? That's always been a weakness for Golden State. They've always been able to cover it with their offense, but Golden State's shots just would not go down. Um, they couldn't get in the paint. They couldn't get open shots. Curry had to work really hard to get open. Clay missed some missed some open shots. Draymond Green missed some open shots. And all of a sudden, that door was slightly open. And you got to give Jalen Brown credit. We saw, or Orlando saw earlier this year, just how good Jalen Brown can be and how he can take control of a game um, and create impossible comebacks. This one, not nearly as impossible as the comeback that Boston made against Orlando back in January, but really just as shocking, really just as incredible to watch and incredible to kind of live through. Um, they just... They, they, they blew him out. Um, it was, what, a 12-0 run, a 14-0 run, then another, like, 7-0 run, and just Al Horford hitting threes, Derek White hitting threes, them just tearing apart. Golden State's really good defense. I don't think Golden State's defense has gotten enough credit um, for how good they've been all year long, but Golden State just looked like they got discouraged every time they missed a shot, and Boston just gained confidence with every shot that they made. And, you know, that experience factor, I, I personally thought that Boston would give a game away at some point during this series, now that experience factor, I think, is out the window. Boston has has to feel coming out of this game, hey, doesn't matter who the favorite of this series is, it's a series, it's our series, and we are perfectly capable of keeping up with these guys. I give Golden State credit. They had a lot of uh, no panic, a lot of um, a lot of just kind of staying with things and staying uh, staying in the moment and, and 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 saying, hey, this is just one game after afterward. I don't think Golden State's going away. I think this is a series that's going to go the distance. Um, I had Warriors in six. This game convinced me that it's probably that it's not going to be a soft six. It's going to be a hard six 
or a soft seven. Um, that, that's that's kind of where I'm I'm going at it. it, it this I, this I think this is easily a six or seven seven game series, and it's a really exciting first finals game. It's going to be a really exciting uh, rest of the series. We'll talk plenty more about the NBA finals, of course, next game two on Sunday. But now we got to talk about Chet Holmgren and talk about uh, the Gonzaga big man who many people think might be the very best player in this draft. We'll talk with Andy Patton about that from Locked on Gonzaga coming up here in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our pals at Built Bar. Right here, the Built Bar granola bars are here. Built granola bars come in three unbelievable flavors, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate coconut, and white chocolate berry. You can get them all in a mix box right now to try them all out. They're so different from the bars and puffs, but they come with the same chocolatey goodness Plus the low calorie goodness too. 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar. Build granola bars will literally change your world. And they're made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So if you've been waiting for a healthy and delicious granola bar to hit the market, this is your time. Head to built.com right now to get the built granola bars. Three delicious flavors to try, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate coconut, and white chocolate berry. Do not miss out. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Before we get into our interview with Andy, we have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks again for all your help. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, and we are now joined by the host of Locked On Gonzaga, Andy Patton, to talk a little bit and learn a little bit more about uh, one of the more polarizing, somehow one of the more polarizing prospects in this draft in Chet Holmgren. Uh, first, Andy, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it was a really good day for, for Gonzaga basketball yesterday. Uh, there was as many as five guys who could have been in the draft. Turns out there's only going to be two. Uh, so uh, happy to be a Gonzaga fan with that uh, and also excited to talk about Chet Holmgren. Yeah, for sure, and obviously Drew Timmy, uh, the big, the big one coming back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another run for the national champion. Hopefully, hopefully Gonzaga finally does get over the hump. It, it, it they, they, that program is definitely deserving of it. Uh, and, and of course, the other guy that you're mentioning that is ending up in the in the in the college draft. I, I believe Andrew Nemhard stayed in the draft. Yeah. Uh, that is a guy that I think some Magic fans have had targeted with the second round picks, but. We're not here to talk about second round picks. I'll, I'll take care of that on the back end. Um, it is time to talk about Chet Holmgren. Uh, you know, just I I, I want to start with this um, because you know, obviously, I think the college game is different than the NBA game, but it, it really does feel like Chet Holmgren is is one of the more polarizing prospects 
uh, among uh, NBA people. Um, you know, I don't think he's polarizing in the college ranks as much, but among NBA people, there's a lot of questions about him. What is just your general reaction to how NBA people are talking about Chet Holmgren compared to the experience of watching him a, a full season at Gonzaga? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, when, when you start talking about really top tier prospects in the NBA draft, and this is consistent year to year, uh, the, the top tier guys always get more criticism than like the middle tier or the lower tier guys. And you mentioned Andrew Nempard and like, if you were to go scour draft content right now, everything you'd read about Andrew Nempard would be positive. He's a guy who's going to go probably 40 picks lower than Chad Holmgren. <laughs> But everything you're seeing is positive. There are obvious flaws in his game. There are reasons that he's not going to be a top-tier pick, but that's not what gets discussed. But when you talk about Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith and Jaden Ivey, all of those guys, most of the conversation that you see on like draft Twitter and, and by NBA people, a lot of it is, is focusing on the negative stuff. And I understand why that is. You don't want to pick a guy who has flaws and have those flaws become a problem that's you know for the magic obviously they're in a situation where they really want to get this pick right like there and so I understand where that concern comes from uh, regarding Chet Holmgren it's easy for me to tell which people have watched a lot of him and which people have not watched as much of him because he is he is polarizing and he does take a little bit to get used to because he's kind of gangly and he's awkward looking and I think I saw somebody describe him that he looks like he runs like a wounded deer which made me laugh because I do kind of understand where that sentiment comes from. But day in and day out, the man just flat out dominates his, the opposition. And there are some concerns about how much of that opposition is legitimate NBA talent. But when you watch the games he did play against NBA talent, against Jalen Duran from Memphis, against Jalen Williams from Arkansas, he had good productive games. Like he did not cower away. He did not struggle with the physicality. Like he occasionally got pushed around, but I don't think there's an 18 year old in college basketball who hasn't occasionally got pushed around. Uh, and so I think you can really kind of tell who's really dug into his tape and watched him. And that doesn't mean that he is flawless. He's not. And some of the flaws are very noticeable with his size and his frame. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I have so little doubt that he is going to be a very good NBA player. Is he going to be a superstar? I think he has the potential, but I don't think it's a, it's not a foregone conclusion, but I think that his floor is very high. And I think some of the other players in that conversation don't have as high of a floor as him. They may have equally high ceilings, but I think his floor, because of the ability he has on defense is so, so high. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that's, that's a really important point to bring out. I mean, the, the first thing that I noticed with, with Chet Holmgren, um, obviously you can't escape that the, the, the questions about his size and his frame. And, and, and obviously the NBA is a different animal than college. We'll get, we'll get into that in a little bit. But the one thing I always noticed first about Chet Holmgren is that didn't matter to him as much. He sought out contact. He did not care mm -hmm. if he took a hit. He was there. He was going to try and give back as much as he can give back. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm a pretty small-ish guy, um, but I always joked around, like I know how to use what little weight I have. I, mm -hmm. I feel I feel very confident that, that Chet Holmgren is that kind of player where you know, he, he knows that he's got, I, I'm, I'm sure that's what everyone is telling him and getting in an NBA weight training program, not having to worry about going to school. That's going to help him put on muscle for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the player you're getting at 18 or 19 is not going to be the player you're going to get uh, down the road. But he, th there's just this fearlessness about him. Um, mm -hmm. Would you describe, I mean, obviously that's the, the, the frame thing is the big kind of question mm -hmm. he has to overcome, but um, is that fearlessness like the defining trait of of his season at Gonzaga, or what would be the defining trait of his season at Gonzaga? 
Yeah, I think the fearlessness is absolutely an aspect of his game. He he challenged everybody. His his rim protection skills are are unmatched in this draft and in many of the most recent drafts. There have been very few players who protect the rim the way that he does, and he does it in ways that are, he's not always blocking shots. He certainly doesn't have like the big Zion Williamson rejections where he's putting the ball six rows in the seats. Like he didn't do a lot of that. One of the skills that I love that he had is the ability to to tap shots out to teammates as opposed to actually just like rejecting them uh, as a David Robinson or Akeem Olajuwon type skill of like tapping the ball out to Nembhard and getting out on the races as opposed to just trying to showboat a little bit. Uh, I think the other skill sets, I, for me, he was so willing to to take on a role that you don't often see the number one high school prospect and potential number one overall pick take on. He came to a school that had a a very talented low post scorer in Drew Timmy uh, and was willing to be a bit more deferential to him, was willing to let him do a lot of the scoring. The game that always stands out to me, I tell this story whenever I'm talking to people about Chet, is that the Texas game, which is the second game of the season, his first big game. First big game of his collegiate career. Everybody's watching. How does he do? He had two points and five rebounds in that game. And a lot of people got very scared. Some Gonzaga people, a lot of non-Gonzaga people were like, he he folded. He crumbled. He You know, this Texas team isn't even this super deep, big, explosive team, but he didn't play well. And it's like, well, Drew Timmy had 37 points in that game. The Gonzaga won by 20. Uh, and the stat that stands out to me in that game is Texas took 15, 1-5% of their shots at the rim when he was in the game. And when he was out of the game, that number was 56%. So in his second collegiate game, he is having this huge, huge impact on the defensive end of the floor. And it's not showing up in the box score. And for him, that's okay. For people who who maybe don't watch a lot of college basketball and aren't watching every major game, they may look at some of the box scores in some of those games and think, this is a kid who, who doesn't make an impact unless it's against San Diego or Pepperdine. And that's just not true. It's just not true. He, he made huge impacts in those games. It's just not always stuff that shows up in the box score. And his willingness to not have to, to be a Ben Simmons or, uh, you know, Markel Fultz or somebody out there who, who, who has to score a bunch of points in order to, to be successful, who has to have the ball in his hands, who doesn't care if his team does well. Chet's not that. He was never that. And, and another guy who I know we'll talk about, Jalen Suggs, he wasn't that either. And to have two high-profile high school recruits like that uh, come into a program and be willing to play roles to help the team win as opposed to needing to be the superstars is is a trait that I think is going to carry Chet very well wherever he ends up in the NBA. Yeah, I, I remember watching that Texas game. Actually, that was kind of my first introduction to, to, to Chet. And I remember you know, again, fresh, I agree with you, a lot of freshmen. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an issue that, that we saw that we're seeing with, with the evaluation of Jabari Smith Jr. at Auburn. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much with Paolo Bancaro at Duke, but a lot of freshmen, I feel like defer to older players. And so when you do join yeah. a veteran team, you know, Andrew Nemhard, veteran mm-hmm. point guard, played, had a very successful career at Florida before he moved to Gonzaga. Drew mm-hmm. Timmy, uh, an All-American, if I'm not mistaken, the year before, yeah. comes back is essentially, you know, I don't think he won national player of the year this year, but he you know, was in the running for that was clearly mm-hmm. kind of a better option, kind of pushed Holmgren into a, a sort of different role. And I remember coming out, of, mm-hmm. I do remember coming out of that Texas game being like, okay, very clearly to win this game, they went to Timmy and there was no reason mm-hmm. not to do that. So this isn't going to be a fair mm-hmm. evaluation, but I do remember coming out thinking, look, Holmgren may not be scoring, but he is making a, a very, very real impact in this game. And, you know, even taking it all the way to the end of the season, because what you want to see, I think, with young guys 
is this progression. The way he mm-hmm. handled Jalen Duran at Memphis, and sure, he got into foul trouble mm-hmm. that game. That certainly limited mm-hmm. his minutes, but I felt like he went head-to-head with the be- with what a lot of people consider the best pure center in this draft class uh, and really did a good job limiting him and 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 yeah. taking the physicality, taking the, pu- taking the punishment, you know, finding ways to still impact that game. Um, is, is, what was the progression like for Holmgren uh, in that sense from, you know, that, that big game against Texas early in the season, uh, you know, obviously they played Duke at 1.2 to th- those, those final games in the turn. Where did he make kind of the biggest growth in his game? The biggest growth for Chet Holmgren unquestionably was offensively in my mind. Uh, and that's not to say, I mean, th- that's mostly because he was already so dang good defensively right when he got to Gonzaga that there was uh, only a finite amount of room for him to grow. Uh, and still the way he attacked Jalen Duran in that game is better than the way that he would have probably attacked him had that been the second game of the season. Like he still improved on that end of the floor, got better at using his body, using his length, you know, keeping his hands straight up in the air so he didn't commit as many fouls. Uh, so he improved in that regard. But offensively, his ability to find his rhythm, to figure out when to take shots, when to make passes, like he, his turnover numbers are not elite. Uh, obviously, turnovers for a big man are not a, a you know, a super dramatic number necessarily. And Gonzaga runs a lot of high-low offense. So there's going to be, you're going to get some turnovers just because they expect their big men to pass the ball a lot. But his decision-making improved so dramatically. And then his outside shooting. Uh, he was, he, his overall numbers for the season outside look very good. Uh, and the highlights almost always show him knocking down threes. Early in the year, his only outside shooting came in transition. And he was, that's a skill that I believe he's going to have immediately in the NBA. I think that his ability to hit transition threes is going to carry over on day one. But his ability to shoot threes within the half-court offense, it took a little time at Gonzaga. I think it was partly figuring out his role and partly needing the coaching staff to encourage him like, hey, if you're open, take the shots. Like, you don't always need to look at Drew. I know he's there and I know he's often open, but if you're if they're not guarding you, take the shot. Uh, and it, particularly for Gonzaga, who, who struggled to shoot threes for most of the season as a team, they eventually needed him to start doing more of that because they needed that part of their offense. And once he kind of got a little more comfortable with that, you started seeing him take more pull-up threes, which was not something he had early in the season. You started to t- see him uh, try to take guys off the dribble more, which was something that all of his high school tape, that's like the biggest thing that you see is him taking dudes off the dribble, going behind the back. And he, he could do that in transition very well. There's an excellent highlight against UCLA where he alters a shot. He gets the ball. He takes about six dribbles down the court, one behind the back, two-handed dunk. And it's like, you know, this wasn't against, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Pepperdine again. This wasn't against Pepperdine. This was against the UCLA team that at the time was ranked top five in the country. Like this is, he was doing that against NBA dudes. And so once he, and that was still fairly early in the year, but he got more comfortable with that as the year went on. Uh, And then kind of the mid-range game as well was something that he didn't do a ton of. I think he could have done more of it. I think he will do more of it in the NBA. Some of those kind of Dirk Nowitzki fadeaways, stuff that, again, we saw from him in high school, we saw at times at Gonzaga, but it just wasn't really a part of their offense. Uh, If Drew Timmy had missed a game, I think we would have seen Chet do a lot more of that, but just because they didn't need him to do that, they'd rather go to Timmy and let him do his work and let Chet play more away from the rim, do more of the entry passes, more of the outside shooting. Uh, but I think that that's something that as the season went on, we saw gradually more from him as well. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that's uh, obviously when you're on like this this super talented team like Gonzaga, and, and I'm curious what the relationship was, not necessarily like uh, off court, but like what the playing relationship was with mm-hmm. with Drew Timmy, because you know mm-hmm. I, I do think that Orlando is is set up really well to receive Chet Holmgren in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know they they have an, they have another big in Wendell Carter who can handle you know your Joel Embiid's your Nikola Jokic's the kind of the kind of the big bruising centers in the league in the same way that the Magic kind of used Mo Bamba this year. Um, mm-hmm. But but Wendell Carter is also very different from Drew Timmy in that Wendell Carter can step out to the to the three point line. He can hit that right. three pointer. He can he works really well out of the high post as a passer. So you can get those dump downs in, into into a low post and set up some other high low actions. Um, you kind of hinted at it. Was you know again, Drew Timmy's a really good player. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to say that Gonzaga made the wrong decision kind of featuring him. Timmy's a guy you feature, um, mm-hmm. but how much did that playing relationship with Timmy kind of affect the way that Gonzaga used Chet Holmgren and maybe affect kind of what he was able to show um, in what's usually a very congested college court. Yeah, I think that was that was something that that it took them some time to, to kind of find, to piece together. Uh, Chet was was so willing to to do whatever it took to win. And he came to a school where they had a guy who, you know, averages 18, 19 a game and can score on anybody. And so I think he was very willing to let that be the situation. But eventually they were like, look, we didn't just bring you here to block shots. Like you do need to do some scoring and, you you know, and giving him the ball at the top of the key and letting him try to make that entry pass or swing it around so they could get better position for Drew. Like he was very good at that. But NBA scouts aren't looking at Chet Holmgren to see how well he swings the ball around the top of the perimeter. That's not a skill that particularly interests anybody. So they kind of had to figure out how do we flesh out some of these other skills that he has. Uh, and it, it did take some time. And, and Drew Drew wants, needs, slash wants to be more of a perimeter player. It's the, his only real avenue to the NBA. It's almost certainly what everybody told him at the Combine and is part of the reason that he's made the decision to come back to Gonzaga. But he hasn't been very successful at that, uh, quite frankly. And so Gonzaga didn't want to kind of reverse the roles. Yeah, Chet can score down low. He's very good at it. When he did post up, when he did demand the ball with position, he got the ball, he made moves, he could score with his left hand, he could score with his right hand. But with Drew Timmy in the game, that just didn't make sense to do that. And since Drew played 30 minutes per night, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. When it was Chet Holmgren and Anton Watson, uh, you saw Chet play a lot more down low in the paint. But again, Anton Watson is like a 15% three-point shooter. So they just didn't have a lot of other, like if, if he'd gotten the ability to play with another big who could stretch the floor a little bit, I think we would have seen some more of that low post game. But at the end of the day, the modern NBA, Chet's probably not going to be a down low back to the basket. Give me the ball. Let me do a post move score. I think he's capable of it. And I think there might be instances where it happens, but for the most part, that's not what any team is drafting him to do. So the ability to swing the ball around, to be an effective passer, to not turn it over, that's going to help. And then beyond that, the ability to make a move, drive to the basket, pull up, shoot a shot. Those are things that I think are in his bag, but I will say we did not get to see a whole lot of it at Gonzaga. And I do think that that is potentially skewing some people's perception of him because somebody like Javari Smith got to do that a lot, a whole lot, and Paolo Bancaro a whole lot. Um, so they're ahead in that regard right now. But I don't think that Chet Holmgren is is going to be incapable of doing that. Yeah, and again, like Gonzaga's priority, like Mark Few's priority is not to, you know, it's it's a priority, but the priority was to win and to win a national championship. Like that's mm-hmm. that he is building his team to win, and so he's not there to serve NBA scouts and to serve yep. serve people like me who jump in saying, "Oh, what's this guy going to do when he leaves Gonzaga?" Right. 
he's got to build a team. And so obviously I, I, I do think he put uh, Holmgren in a role that sure his talent might, might've been bursting to do a little bit more, but he put mm-hmm. him in a role that would help his team win and, 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 and do what he felt was, was the best thing for his team to win. So I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with that. And obviously now it's the job of NBA scouts to kind of figure out how to flush out uh, that talent because, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, it's taken us too long to, to, to say the U word here, but um, it, this is the this is kind of the ideal of what a unicorn is as far yeah. as how the NBA defines it. This like mm-hmm. he like I, I and I'm curious what your thoughts are on are on this. Like when I watch his tape, like it's it, a seven footer is not supposed to move that fluidly. Like it like mm-hmm. like it's like someone said he runs like a a, a rooted deer, but like deer are still very mm-hmm. very graceful. And like I would honestly say it's <laughs> it's it's a li- it's a little bit more grace graceful graceful than that. You're just not used to seeing someone so big being able to move mm-hmm. that quickly and kind of, you know, kind of change direction, you know, fairly quickly for a big guy again. And, and you know, it feels like this is the evolution of what Christoph Porzingis was when he was in New York yeah. um, as far as that. And, and that makes him, you know, truly unique. Uh, and, and I feel like when you're looking at the top pick, you do want someone that's going to be unique, that's going to force defenses to kind of change what they do. You mentioned the shot blocking already. What mm-hmm. else did Chet Holmgren do or what else did his presence on the floor do to kind of shift the way that opponents attack Gonzaga? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned that Texas stat already, and I think that's a huge kind of aspect of it is teams were afraid. They were afraid to go around the rim because and you, you'd see it almost every single game the first time a team played. You know, because in, in, in league play, obviously you play a team twice. So the first time their first strategy was always go at Chet. They're trying to get him in foul trouble. I understand why that was the opposing team strategy. He's a freshman. Freshmen tend to make more mistakes defensively. The refs tend to be a little bit harder on freshmen. Uh, and he's the primary shot blocker. So you have to go at him. Gonzaga didn't have a lot of shot blocking depth behind Drew Timmy, or excuse me, behind Chet Holmgren. And so teams would try that and it, it never worked. It never, the only game that it remotely worked was the Arkansas game. And obviously Gonzaga lost that game. So that was, they, there was like one successful story in that regard. And so you'd see teams try, and Chet's ability to, to go straight up, to not jump unless he needed to. I mean, his wingspan is like seven and a half feet, so he doesn't have to jump very often. Um, and then his, his recovery time, you watch some tape of him, watch the way he recovers on a pick and roll like that to me, that's such a translatable skill. Pick and roll, high pick and roll is is everything that's happening in the NBA. And so his ability to come off a screen, to hedge if he needed to, Gonzaga usually hedged on those screens, turn, recover, and then they would try to make the dump pass down low. The guy would think, I got a wide open lay-in, Chet's all the way at the three-point line, one step down, he's blocking that shot off the backboard. And his, he, his recovery time on that stuff was so good. His basketball intelligence was so good. And yeah, I mean, the shot blocking is obviously the most translatable skill right now. But it's more his his overall IQ defensively is so good. He's not just a guy who blocks a lot of shots and also gets dunked on a lot or anything like that. Like he can play defense away from the rim. He can he he can hedge those screens. He can recover on those quickly. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be good at that stuff right away. And yeah, a lot of people will point out what kind of what you said. Like oh well, you know what about Joel Embiid? What about Nikola Jokic? Those guys are gonna push him around. It's like well, those dudes push everybody around. So it's like it's a little unfair to say like well how like no if anybody could guard Nikola Jokic you wouldn't have two pieces of hardware uh, in his house right now like th- those guys are very difficult to defend uh, and then yeah offensively I think he's a little bit he's got some work to do there not a ton I think it's mostly just stuff that he didn't get to do at Gonzaga but 
the ability to, to Im- instantly impact whatever team drafts him on the defensive end of the floor is kind of his biggest telling point right now. You know, yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, I, th- I think one area that I've been kind of hitting on with all these prospects is uh, the NBA game is very different from the college game. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that um, already here uh, with, you know, the, the, you know, just having Wendell Carter who can post up as well as step out to three point line right. uh, as kind of a, as a potential running mate that that that's completely different. Uh, you know, you, if he ends up in Oklahoma City, uh, you know, mm-hmm. having another like kind of le- long, big like Alexei Pokashevsky around him, you know, that yeah. that changes a lot of things, too. There's just a lot. There's a lot more that that I think you can do uh, to, to your eye. And obviously the context with Gonzaga, having a veteran in Drew Timmy is kind of the centerpiece uh, of the front court there. Mm-hmm. To your eye, is Chet Holmgren the kind of player that will be more successful in an NBA style of play as opposed to uh, the college style of play where, you know, zone defenses, court's a little Mm -hmm. bit more congested, everyone's a little bit closer in. Is he going to thrive in the much more spaced out NBA? Yeah, I think so. And and I think it's worth pointing out that Gonzaga runs more of an NBA style offense than a lot of college programs. You know, certainly he wasn't at Virginia or some of those other schools that try to slow you down and beat you by scoring 48 points a game. Uh, Gonzaga obviously gets out, they run, it's the second fastest pace in the country behind Purdue, I believe. Um, And and so seeing, seeing him get those opportunities, but again, like you said, the court is a lot smaller. So his ability to stretch the floor doesn't doesn't show up at the college game as much as it does in the NBA, just because there's not as much floor to stretch. Like it just doesn't work as well. Um, but I think that he he has proven he has those skills. I think again the, the one skill that that he will get to do more in the NBA that he didn't get to do in college is a bit more of that kind of freestyle offensive, like you know just getting the ball and go being asked to go get a bucket. And, and certainly Orlando has guys who are probably more likely to do that than, than Chet Holmgren. But, you know, if you need to give him the ball 18 feet away from the basket and just tell him to go do it, like I really believe he's going to get a good shot off most of the time. But Gonzaga just didn't, in the college game in general, just didn't really ask him to do that. There's the shot clock's longer, so they don't have to kind of just frantically create stuff as often. Uh, Gonzaga liked to make sure the shot clock didn't get below 20 if they could, so they were getting off quick shots most of the time. So I think that there are some... You know, even as much as Gonzaga does run an NBA style, uh, it's still very different. It's still ultimately uh, quite a bit different. And I think that Chet's ability to to figure out who his teammates are, depending on you know where he ends up, and and play alongside them is something that I think he's going to adapt to very quickly. He adapted very quickly at Gonzaga, uh, and he's going to be 19 years old, and his best seasons in the NBA are probably not going to be his first couple, but. Uh, you wouldn't expect that for, I don't think, anybody at the top of this draft. Whoever, whoever um, you're taking number one, you don't want their best season to be their rookie year. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no offense not, to Michael Carter-Williams. Right, especially not this year with it being, it's you know, it's going to be one of the big three and those guys are all 19. So uh, I think Chet is, is has the, the wherewithal, the experience uh, and the ability to make the adjustments that will translate really well at the next level. Let's take a quick break from the conversation so I can tell you a little bit more about the Locked On NBA Draft Big Board Podcast. The Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast 
omit the draft. That's on me. The Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast is your resource for all draft information to lead up to the NBA draft on June 23rd. Host Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock draft, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Make it part of your day every day. Certainly should be by now as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I, I agree. I think again, there, there'll be a lot more freedom for him to operate and kind of play uh, in the way that that you know maybe he wasn't in, in Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of us uh, in the NBA community we drop in for these big games. We talked about a few of them already. What's something about Chet's game that you would only notice, or that or that you would pick out that you wouldn't necessarily see if you just drop in for a game here and there? What's something about him? Uh, that you noticed uh, or, or that, that isn't talked about enough that you noticed from watching him game to game, day to day? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one that that is is a little bit tough to answer because he's very consistent. And I think that that is like he he didn't play dramatically differently in those games. I think that, you know, we talk about the Memphis game a little bit and we talked about the Arkansas game a little bit. And those were the teams that like I said, most teams attempted to attack him down low. Those are the only teams that had any success doing it. And the reason is because they had better post players. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that Jalen Duran would have more success doing that since he's going to be most likely a starting center in the NBA, or at least a very good backup. Um, now Chet had more blocks than Duran had made shots in that game. So clearly it didn't work all that well, but uh, they cancel each other other, out. I think that doesn't get talked about enough. Duran was in foul trouble just as much as Chet was that game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only big guy who really just straight up had a better game than him was Jalen Williams at Arkansas and shout out to him for having a great game. Uh, Some of the calls on Chet were a bit suspect, but at the end of the day, like Williams had a good game and got to him in that one. But I think that the other games, Chet's ability to get out and transition and and run with the, with the team is something that you didn't see as much in the bigger games, uh, but you saw a lot in some of the WCC opponents. Um, you know, their their big guys are six seven six eight a lot of the time, so Chet could probably pretty easily dominate them just by standing under the basket. But in those games, you also saw him get out and transition, run, you know, do those behind-the-back moves. Uh, and that's something that I don't think and like if you watch a few highlight videos you'll see a few of those and you might think oh there's the four or five times this season that he went coast to coast and it's like no that happened like every game like if you watch every game you'll see one or two of those plays uh the the San Diego game is my my favorite Chet Holmgren game for people to watch you don't even have to watch the full game there was a 98 second period of time in that game and in, in 98 seconds Chet Holmgren scored 11 points blocked one shot and grabbed one rebound he hit three threes hit a bucket under the basket in a minute and a half and the broadcaster was Sean Fardham and he was just laughing just straight up laughing during that segment because it was the most ridiculous thing and and yeah San Diego didn't have a lot of size didn't have a lot of NBA guys or, or doesn't have any NBA guys but what if you watch that highlight 
it's not something that human beings that big should be able to do. It's just, it's, he's hitting transition threes. He's pulling up from well beyond the NBA line. Like he just, it's, it's ridiculous. And I think he, his tape is so consistent. You can jump in at any game at any time and find him on the court and he's going to look smooth. He's going to look effortless. He's going to look like he's doing things that you kind of can't believe that he's doing and he's making it look very easy. And, and, you know, again, consistency is not a bad thing. Like I, I tell, I tell my listeners about this all the time. Uh, the, the NBA regular season, 82 games is a slog. It is hard. Yeah. And the good teams are, you know, the NBA regular season asks you, what can you do consistently on your worst nights? When you're having a bad mm-hmm. night, what are you still doing consistently? And you look at the mm-hmm. best players, they're still getting you 20. They're still getting you 10 rebounds. They're still, they're still doing something every single night. And so, being, you know, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. Being able to do the same thing every night, you know, mm-hmm. when you're on a back-to-back in, you know, the middle of January, uh, yeah. you know, game 38, 35, 39, something like that. Uh, like it's a slog. And so consistency mm-hmm. is, is, is a really, really, really valuable trait to have. I feel like, uh, in the NBA, um, of course, uh, this isn't our first run in with a, with a Gonzaga prospect. Um, so since I have you here, um, I do want to ask you a little bit, what your, what your thoughts were, uh, on Jalen Suggs this season. I don't know how close you watch it, but just kind of observing from afar, um, what, you know, from what you saw or what, or, or what your perspective was, um, did, was Jalen, was some of Jalen's struggles this year surprising or, or, or what did you take, uh, what did, what was your takeaway from, from, from what you saw from his rookie year this year? Yeah. I, mean, I think for starters, uh, my, my pick for it has always been for Chet Holmgren to go to Orlando for the narrative reason of him and Chet or him and Jalen reuniting, even though they weren't teammates at Gonzaga, they were teammates in high school. Very, very cool story. Hopefully ends up being the situation. We'll see what happens. Obviously, I also want Gonzaga to have the number one overall pick, which has never happened. So that would be very cool. Uh, but for Jalen, yeah, the offensive struggles were surprising. And he he was not, he, he did not come into the NBA as a good outside shooter. Like that was not going to be a skill that was expe- was expected for him to be good at right away. I think he can develop a decent outside shot. He's not going to be, you know, a gunner. He's not going to be a 40 something percent guy. I don't think, I don't think Hopefully Orlando fans didn't expect that when they drafted him because that's not really ever going to be a part of his game. Uh, Obviously, the injuries that he had in his rookie year, I think, had a pretty significant impact on him, uh, as as you would expect that they would. Um, But you saw some of the I mean, you you saw some of the highlights that give an indication of who he can be. The dunk on DeMar DeRozan, like some of the the fast break opportunities, the the highlight reel athleticism that he has. Uh, and then just the defense. I think uh, looking at some of the advanced stats, uh, his pick and roll defense is among the tops in the league, tops among rookies for guards. Like he's going to be a all NBA caliber defensive player. Whether he'll make those teams, I don't know, but he is going to be that good or at least close to that good. And the offense is just trailing behind. It's just, it's not there yet. I think he was a much better offensive player at Gonzaga than he was last year. And that's why there was some surprise. I think I didn't watch every game, certainly, but I think that it didn't look like he was taking a whole bunch of bad shots. He he took some, as any rookie would, but I think he just wasn't knocking down shots that I think he's capable of knocking down. Whether it was fatigue, the NBA season is twice as long as the college season, whether it was the injuries still bothering him, him putting pressure on himself, some combination of all of those things, uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I would be shocked if his offense didn't improve fairly significantly uh, over the next couple of years. But I think that his greatest skill in the NBA, like Chet's, is probably going to be on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, and and I, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I, I would say his biggest struggle, is, like he could get to the basket anytime he wanted. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it just mm-hmm. always felt like he sped himself up too much. Like he got, yeah. he got excited, he got too excited getting there or, mm-hmm. you know, something the defense did just wasn't reading the game fast enough yet, which again, you expect from rookie guards, they're, they're going to struggle with right. turnovers are going to struggle a little bit shooting at the rim. Um, mm-hmm. So th- there's, it definitely does feel like there's another level for him. And obviously it's, it's on him to do the work to kind of, to kind of get all that back under control and improve on those skills. Um, but like you said, his defense He's already a high-level defender in my book, and, and and obviously that's something that the Magic uh, have really put a lot of value in with the kind of guys they've dra- they've drafted and acquired um, over over the years. And so, you know, I, I don't think anyone here in Orlando is ready to give up on Jalen Suggs. Sure. Um, we're all still really really excited for for what he can be and what what he still has yet to do. Obviously, next year, a very big year for him, and and, and health is is kind of the first priority for him. Sure. Um, Andy, uh, let uh, let my listeners know where where they can find you if they want to learn a little bit more about uh, Gonzaga. I'm sure we'll be uh, looking at some Gonzaga prospects again uh, here in the very, very near future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ScoreZags Score. Zags score. Uh, you can find the podcast, obviously, at Locked On Zags. Uh, hopefully going to do some more content uh, leading up to the draft, uh, whether it's with you and Oklahoma City and, and wherever Chet obviously ends up. But there's, uh, you know, we got a Locked On Auburn. We got a Locked On Duke. So hopefully going to have some combination uh, conversations about Palo and Jabari and and kind of the, the top of this draft class, because I think it's kind of fun to, to take a look at these guys and see how it shakes out. So uh, excited to get that opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's obviously a very, very fun draft because for the first time in a long time, it doesn't feel like there's a clear cut number one in this draft. And yeah. it feels like, like I've, I've told all the guys that I've talked to, uh, mm-hmm. I, I can make a good argument for the, for the top pick between all three of these guys. And, and I've, I've told everyone, I've tried to tell Magic fans this, don't be upset if your guy is not taken. It is a good, there is no wrong choice here. There is no wrong answer. Yeah. And honestly, it's, the pick is more about defining who this Magic team is going to be more than mm-hmm. picking the player. The player is the player is going to be part of what this Magic team wants to be. And obviously, uh, you know, Chet is, Chet, like, Chet, like, I, I say this a lot about star players. You need mm-hmm. someone that does something unique. You need some yeah. someone that does something unique. And uh, Chet is, is unique. He is, he is, yep. there are not, there, there are not many players at his size that can do what he does there. There is one coming in next year's draft, which Chet beats yeah. in, in the FIBA tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it, these unicorns are here, man. And, and, and it's, it's really, mm-hmm. really exciting. Um, I want to thank Andy for jumping on the show with me. You can of course follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore OMD. Subscribe to Locked on Magic as well as Locked on Gonzaga on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey, all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can of course also check out the latest on the Orlando Magic at orlandomagicdaily.com. Follow us there on Twitter at omagicdaily. That's going to do it for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic or Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic. This is See you all again next time for another episode. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.